I just want to distinguish between a good and reasonable response and a, I'm going to call it an out of this world type response. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Let's say that we were to overly simplify the career change process for just a second here. If we divided it up into three stages... They would be the identification stage, which is identifying what creates a great next step and beyond for you. Stage number two would be the creating, finding, and testing stage. That ranges in everything from once you know where you want to go to identifying the best way to get there, the best path to get there, all the way to how do we determine that you're in fact going the right direction by designing small experiments so that you can get some road signs indicating that you are going the right way for you, that we don't get there and realize, oh my goodness, that this isn't the right fit. So that's stage number two. Stage number three would be landing the opportunity, which is everything from working with people in an organization to create an opportunity all the way to negotiation, accepting your role, getting into it, onboarding, all those things. So three stages, right? Each of these stages are pretty difficult in their own right. However, I see time and again from the thousands of people that we've worked with that stage number two is probably the most difficult, that creating, finding, and testing stage. It's also where we get the most questions again and again and again. In fact, I want to share with you during the course of this episode, several questions that we got from somebody that we're working with right now. This person's name is Brian, and he did a great job not only asking these questions, which are amazing questions, but even writing the email to be able to reach out in how to ask those questions. That becomes a lesson in itself. So I want to share all that with you over the course of this podcast episode. And specifically, I want you to listen for several of the pieces and how he asks the question in the first place. I'm going to read you portions of the actual email that he sent so that you can get an idea of great ways to to even ask questions or to reach out or to build relationships. So it becomes a little bit meta. At the same time, these questions are very relevant. Okay, here's the summary of each of those questions. Number one is, <laughs> the how can I help you advice? Is it good? Is it bad? What is your advice? The second question is, you know, how do you work with manipulative or exploitive people or people that you can't help? What should you do there you know, as you're encountering you know, people throughout your career change process and you're building relationships? And then question number three is, this idea of authentic and vulnerable conversations, especially as it relates to career conversations, those are a hot topic and have been for the better part of 10 years. And it doesn't necessarily always make sense with, to share everything with someone that we just met. So how do you draw the line? What's appropriate to share when you're meeting someone new? Okay. All of these are amazing questions. I want to take them one at a time here, but first of all, let me go ahead and back up and share part of the email that Brian wrote here, because the way that he prefaces is a lesson in itself for how to even you know get people's attention and how to be able to 
build a relationship, a real relationship in a world that is very focused on transactions. So here's a little bit of context. This is someone who we're already working with and behind the scenes, you know, he's in his own career change journey. Second of all, Brian and I have had several interactions. So I already recognize his name and his email when it came into my box. And so we already have some measure of relationship in the first place, which is important to understand because this is a fairly lengthy email. And if those two pieces weren't already in place, then I get someplace between 200 and 300 emails per day. And even though I have help in getting back to people in the form of members of my team, it still is pretty challenging to get answers to all those people. So quite frankly, we don't, we, we can't, there's, we could spend all day long answering email and we wouldn't be able to get back to everyone. And the reason I'm pointing this out is not to say that everyone gets two to 300 emails, but you have to consider these types of things when you're trying to email or build relationships of any kind with people that have some level of busyness going on. So Brian does a great job in navigating through this. Let me share part of this original email with you. Brian says, Hey, Scott, I'm currently in CCB as well as a longtime listener of the podcast, and I'm extremely grateful for the wealth of helpful information in both. Now, as I work through module five, meaningful relationship building is on my mind a lot. So I'm re-listening to several of your interviews with people like Jeff Woods, which is podcast 66, or Dara Bruchstein, which is number 231. I've heard a lot of great advice, but I also feel a tension with some of it. And I'm wondering if you can help me resolve it. Okay. I just want to pause there and insert some of my own comments. First of all, Brian, even though we've already emailed back and forth, and even though I already recognize you know, his email address and his name as it comes through my inbox, I think Brian recognizes a few different things here that are going on. One, he knows that I'm not the only one in my inbox. And so he wants to make sure that he's getting the attention. So he addresses upfront, hey, here's who I am and here's why it's relevant. I am currently in CCB and a longtime listener of the podcast and it goes on to share some of the specifics about what is setting up the rest of the email context. Okay. Those are really, really great ways to do it. And a lot of people ask like, how long should that be? Should it be one sentence? Should it be two cents? I would say it's less about the length and more about what is appropriate for the situation. So in this case, we've already had a number of email exchanges. So I think this is perfectly appropriate. And uh, he knows that this is going to be effective to make sure that I'm placing attention on it because he's one of our clients, which you better believe we're going to be excited to place attention on. And then also at the same time, he's long before he is a client, he was a listener of this podcast and it references specific uh, podcasts as well. And the pieces that are relevant that he knows will stand out to get my attention, which is pretty cool. Okay. Goes on to say next in the email, And to be clear, here are several reasons I'm asking you. Number one, I respect your opinion and perspective on relationship building in general because I believe you've shown yourself to be kind and sincere. Number two, as a public figure, you have likely encountered these particular issues and have had to give thought on how to respond. Parentheses, you mentioned something about this in your interview with Dara, in parentheses. Number three, You list your Enneagram result in your email signature, which has some relevance for how I view the topic. I was assessed as a type five, which has part of the description, quote, feeling that they lack inner resources and that too much interaction with others will lead to catastrophic depletion, end quote. Since you've published so much online, and I wonder if 
be respectful of your time. May I ask if you have published anything or know of other good resources that expand on the topic of intentional relationship building in three particular areas detailed in the postscript due to the volume of inquiries you undoubtedly receive. I recognize that this might not be possible, but if you're able to share any insights in whatever format is most convenient for you, I'd be sincerely grateful. Okay. So this is particularly helpful here. One of the things that might not be obvious is that first of all, most human beings, not all human beings are very amiable to specific compliments, not necessarily any kind of flattery or anything like that, but very specific compliments. And the difference between that might be like, Hey, I really love your stuff, which I get many, many, many emails every single day that say something to that effect, which is amazing. I love that people are loving our content or loving the stuff that we're putting out into the world. That does make me happy. However, it's very different than a very specific compliment, which in this case, you know, Brian says, Hey, I respect your opinion and perspective on relationship building. That is super relevant to me. That's Brian knows that that's something that I care deeply about. And you know, that's a totally different type of very specific compliment, which means that it's going to have different weight when I receive it in an email. And although I think the psychology behind giving compliments and how human beings receive compliments is fascinating, I don't want you to misuse it or just compliment people for compliments sake or to be able to get something else. That is where it borders into manipulation. That's not necessarily helpful. However, it is okay to share something that is absolutely true and is always more helpful to other people if it's specific on the receiving it. So there's just a little bit of what he did well and even how he's reaching out and how he's continuing to build relationships in the first place, which is pretty cool. And I think that part of the reason I wanted to share this email is because there's so much depth in why it works anyways, no matter who you're reaching out to. Okay. The other thing that I think is really knowing is so many people that are busy or have built audiences, whether it's a podcast or anything else, or even CEOs of many organizations far larger than mine, they get a lot of email, a lot of interaction. And they also get a lot of emails saying, hey, can you answer my question? It is very, very prudent of Brian in this situation to recognize that there is additional context here. We've created lots of answers to questions in lots of different places. Brian couldn't find the answers to these particular questions that he goes on to ask later on in the email. So he didn't want to say, hey, Scott, can you answer all my questions that are likely going to require pretty significant in-depth answers? Instead, he says, and this is again, very specific to me as an individual, hey, I know you've already published a ton of content. Can you direct me to someplace if these answers already exist? That would be amazing. And that is something that is very specific and useful as it relates to reaching out, as it relates to continuing to build relationships versus just saying, hey, I'm sending you an email. Can you answer all my questions, regardless of whether you have time or not? Which is something that I literally get every day. And unfortunately, you know, me and my team are just forced to choose every single day which emails we're going to respond to, which we're not, because we just have far more emails than time. And that's just our reality. Not everybody's in that situation, but everybody has something similar in that they probably have more things to do than they have time available to do it. And the situation and context is different. Okay. So I just wanted to share that. And then he wraps up with another thank you. So it's all very relevant and tailored to me 
and shows that Brian knows and understands my situation too. And he hits a whole bunch of different points that I care about. And Brian probably suspects that I'll respond to, which is amazing. That's a great example of a way to reach out. And probably one of the reasons why you know, he's going to get an entire literal podcast episode devoted to answering his questions. Pretty cool. You can see it in action, right? So this is literally a very meta version of teaching in action. He goes on to say, here's the topics I'm trying to learn more about. I want to read each question, and then I want to try and give a few answers to that particular question. The first of which says, I've heard the advice to try and be a helpful resource when meeting new people. And some recommend outright asking, how can I be a help to you? Question mark. But I've also heard some compelling counter advice to lead more with curiosity so that you can actually figure out whether you can help before asking. So I'm curious, do you recommend outright asking how you can help or do you prefer another approach to try and offer value when having career conversations? Okay, so I have the same answer for the most part for career conversations as well as other types of conversations. I don't think they need to be different in most areas. There are some exceptions to that. So here's some of the advice that I have and ways to think about this. First of all, you know, I have, and my team too, we have definitely asked the question many times over, how can I be of help to you? And I think it's a great question. Also, what I've found is that although it comes off as very kind and it is very nice and it feels like a good gesture, it feels good. It isn't always that helpful because most people won't know that. So I think what can be even more helpful, if you want to think about this in terms of, hey, asking the question, how, I, how can I be of help to you is really nice and it can be helpful. But if we really want to take it two or three levels up, what we can do instead is be able to do enough of our own research or help steer the conversation in a direction to where we can understand how we can be of help to someone else. And that is a whole different skill set, partially because most of us, if we just ask that simple question, most of us aren't necessarily going to know off the top of our head. And it, asking the question can prompt some answers from some people. Other people, it's going to take more specific, in-depth figuring out. And the really interesting part about that is that part of the reason it's a challenge to answer is because it might take a pretty significant amount of cognitive thought or evaluation or even reflective thinking in order to understand, and then applying that to critical thinking too, how someone can help us. That isn't always something that we have an answer at the ready. So it can actually create more of a challenge in some ways. So how can I help you or how can I be of help you to you? Feels nice, but it isn't always actually that helpful. Instead, I would suggest taking a, not a just a curious approach, but almost a consultative type approach too, where if I can at the same time as I'm getting to know that person, ask enough questions and be curious about what they have going on, that may also give me some clues as to how I may be able to help them. And that is a totally different set of skills as well as that can help you build the relationship at the same time. So here's how that might look in reality. In a career conversation, we've told the story on the podcast before of Mike. Mike Bigelow, he was a guest on the podcast several hundred episodes ago, and he took this really, really great approach that is very unique and most people in the world will not do. When he was going on his career transition, he had pretty limited time. 
And so one of the things that he did is he set up a bunch of conversations back to back with companies and organizations that he was really interested with and people in those organizations. And so he basically filled up his day for lack of a better phrase. And he went from conversation to conversation. But part of what he did is just getting to know people in the organization. He did a really nice job of taking that consultative type approach and just being curious about what they had going on, what their biggest challenges are, what made that a challenge? Why is that something that they were interested in doing in the first place? What was stopping them from doing it? And by the way, I'm just giving you a whole series of not necessarily initial questions, but like follow-up questions that can help you in conversation to really pull back and peel back the layers because often people won't necessarily have that. Here's exactly how you can help. Step one, you know, do this. Step two, do this. Step three, that's pretty unlikely. So instead, if you really actually want to help, you're going to have to be good or get good at understanding how you can help. And you can best do that if you really legitimately care and are really legitimately curious about what they have going on in their world and their situation because that's also going to give you some of the best clues as to how you can help. So Mike, in this case, where he had those back-to-back meetings, he's went in asking all of these questions, just digging deeper, really trying to get into the specifics, which is a sort of cheat sheet way to be able to do that. Digging deeper is usually better than casting a wider net. Not only does it show interest and allow you to follow that curiosity, but it helps you understand how you can help people much, much better. Too. So the way that that might sound, instead of saying, oh, hey, what do you have going on right now? It might be like, hey, tell me about what you're working on right now. So that'd be just an initial different set of questions that set up a conversation for you to move deeper, faster. But then the follow-up question of that might sound something like, you know, why is that something that you're focused on right now? What are the areas that you're not getting to the second that you'd love to be focusing time and attention on. What's your biggest struggle right now? What What's stopping that from working during this moment? How do you anticipate what you will be working on will change over the course of the next 90 days or six months? All of those are digging questions that allow you to go deeper as opposed to casting a, a wider net initially, because you can ask all kinds of surface level questions and you're not going to come away with that much information. You have to really understand what someone means. And to do that, it requires going deep. Even if you only have you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you can still pretty go pretty deep in many cases. So what that does is it allows you to understand what's really going on in that world. And then that allows you to be able to do what Mike did if you want to and really understand how you can help. So one of the things that's really interesting about what Mike did is in one case, he found out that somebody had been putting off a project to research some new, I think they were building practices or new technology, if I remember correctly, and just hadn't been getting to that for many months. Mike understood that, hey, this was something that was actually really important to the business. So he went and actually did that research himself and then emailed that to the person afterwards without asking, without even saying, hey, how can I be of help to you? And instead, he dug deep enough to understand what really was legitimately a help and then made that assessment and he just went and did the work. Now, the cool thing out of that was Mike was also trying to investigate what kind of career change would be a great fit for him. So he got the ability to dig in and do some of that work. Now, the other side of that is he learned that that was not going to be a good fit for him. Pretty cool, right? It ended up saving his him some time, but it also created a different level of relationship when he emailed that person back and said, hey, you remember that stuff you've been trying to do for months? Well, I went ahead and did it for you. Here you go. 
the biggest point out of all of this is that you must take the time and effort to understand how you can help to really be of best help. That's hard to do, but it makes a huge difference. Okay, here's question number two. Let me go back to Brian's email here. It says, in my limited experience so far, asking outright has gotten a good and reasonable response. And I believe he's referring to, in this case, the asking, how can I be of help to you? And this is not his text. However, I will say that I agree. In general, it's going to get a good and reasonable response. I just want to distinguish between a good and reasonable response and a, I'm going to call it an out of this world type response. And that might be the difference between feeling good versus like the situation where I described with Mike just a minute ago here. Those people, even though many of them don't work with Mike to this day, every single one he interacted with where he dug deep enough to really understand how he could help and helped without them even asking in many different ways. And he's going to be remembered probably for the rest of their lives. Well, there was this one guy who did this thing and oh my goodness, it was amazing. Like it's going to stand out in their minds. So I just want to distinguish between the two at a minimum asking outright is going to be useful. Okay. Now let's go back to Brian's text. But what about the times when it doesn't? I, like most people, have encountered some manipulative or exploitive people. How do you handle requests that, for whatever reason, you can't or won't help with? In order to try to preserve the relationship, do you have an escalating ladder of responses from gentle deflection to outright refusal, or do you have a standard approach you typically use? In short, how do you handle requests that you can't fulfill? Whether they are naive or presumptive or too expansive or outright inappropriate, how do you respond? Well, this is a really great question. And on the first part of this question, I'll say that I don't really worry extensively about manipulative or exploitive people. I think that most people are generally trying to do what they feel is the right thing. And also, whether they realize it or not, are acting through trying to satisfy the needs for themselves. And as long as I understand that, like I'm 100% okay with that, but that doesn't necessarily mean that very many of them are intentionally being manipulative or trying to exploit me. So I just, I don't give a lot of time and energy and resources to that side of it. That said, the second part of this question, you know, do I have an escalating ladder of responses from gentle deflection to outright refusal? I will tell you that my experience is that gentle deflection, if I'm perceiving what you mean by gentle deflection, and I'll qualify that here in just a moment, doesn't work or it's not particularly effective, or it invites people to come back because they don't understand what I mean. So my experience is actually better to be very forthright. This is not every situation under the sun, but you know, I get in email or on LinkedIn or via text or several other ways too. I get asked constantly for favors, for help, for all kinds of things. And generally, I want to help all of those people. And regardless of regardless of the type of request it is, it is typically painful for me to not want to help. So 
thing number one requires that I am really clear. And since I have people helping me in my email box and helping me you know, be able to try to get back to as many people as we possibly can in other fashions, they also have to be very clear with what my priorities are and what I'm going to say yes to and what I'm going to say no to. That helps tremendously. And if I can't do that, if I don't know that, if I don't understand what those priorities are, that's where <laughs> I get more challenges as it pertains to turning people down in one way or another for requests that I can't fulfill. That said, when I'm talking about gentle deflection, my perception of what you mean by a gentle deflection might be might be different than what you actually mean. But I have found that if I am not outright or not direct, not to direct isn't to be confused with rude, but if I use words that are not absolute. So here's what that might sound like. You know what? I'm really sorry. I would love to help. I just can't do that right now. And you know, feel free to let me know if there's anything else I can do or if I might be able to help in the future. You know, that sounds like a good response on the outset. However, what I found is that many times, not all the time, people will come back and they'll say something like, oh, you know what? That's totally okay. How about in you know three weeks from now? And then I have to have another response if, if I'm doing something like that. So that's what my perception of gentle deflection might sound like. Instead, if I have a response that says, you know what? I would love to support you. However, I am completely unable to take on new projects right now because Myself and my team are completely dedicated towards Project A, Project B, and Project C, which is you know what we're working on right now. So I just won't be able to participate. So you can begin to see how that is very direct and absolute, but still it can be very kind and it can also be very caring as well. And that's the type of approach that I would recommend that anyone use as a general rule. Be direct, be definitive, be absolute and mean what you say. There's no need to soften it up with things that you only half mean. So I I hope that really helps, but that's almost always what I will try to do. Unfortunately, that is years of learning the hard way where I have had to go back and re-communicate and re-communicate again and re-communicate again because I didn't say what I actually meant or talk in definitive terms. Great question. Okay, let's go on to Brian's last question here. I also hear the recommendation to be authentic in career conversations, and vulnerability is often discussed as a part of that. Obviously, it wouldn't make sense to share everything with someone we just met. So how do you decide what is appropriate to share when meeting someone new? How have you struck that balance during career conversations? Is this even the right question to ask? What do authenticity and vulnerability mean to you in this context, and how do you practice them? There's a lot of things I could say to this, but honestly, I think that there's a couple different ways to answer this. First of all, vulnerability, you're right, has gained a lot of popularity. <laughs> you know, I think where it really started as a trend, Whole Foods actually has started creating transparency when they made all of their numbers available to everyone back in 1986, like forever ago, right? And other organizations and people who did pretty daring things for the time had started that type of trend way back before it was popular. However, it's 
words like vulnerability, authenticity, transparency, they have been tossed around far more frequently since around 2005 to 2007-ish or so. And certainly now more so than ever. And what I'll say is that one of the best ways that I have heard to think about vulnerability was uh, what Brene Brown said, particularly in her Dare to Lead book. And there's a portion in Dare to Lead, which is a wonderful book, by the way. And if you're a leader in any capacity, well worth a read, pretty short book overall. But she talks about the myths around vulnerability. And she points out that myth number six is that vulnerability is disclosure. And it's not. And she also points out that vulnerability with out boundaries is not vulnerability. It might be fear. It might be manipulation. It might be something else, but it's certainly not vulnerability. Here's a solid example for any parents out there. My son told my daughter, they're about 18 months apart the other day. So pretty close in age. The other day, he told her out of the blue, they were just, you know, in mid conversation. And he's like, Mackenzie, your outfit sucks. <laughs> and although that is true, that does not necessarily automatically make it productive for the conversation, nor does it make it kind, nor does it make it useful to Mackenzie in any way whatsoever. So the reason I'm pointing that out is not because that that is an example of vulnerability, but it's a good illustration for how vulnerability works too. And if you think about that type of situation, just because he's sharing something that is true or true for him, I should say, does not automatically make it fall into all of these other categories. So, and that's part of what I mean when I say vulnerability. It's like when I told my first boss out of college in my first real professional role that I thought I'd made the wrong decision in accepting the job. And then three weeks later, he fires me. And I know that when I've told that story before on the podcast, the longer version of it, and most people think, wow, that really sucked. And yes, it did. But let's be honest, I could have presented it completely differently in the way that I did to him. I could have been very vulnerable in that situation. I could have been very transparent in that situation. I could still have done so in a way that was useful for him. Because basically the way that I presented it was, I'm sorry, I totally made the wrong decision. I'm now scared out of my mind. That's not exactly what I said. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I basically scared the crap out of him. And it came down to this situation where I'm sure he felt like he needed to do something. Otherwise, I was going to inevitably leave, right? So he might as well make the first move. And that's the situation that I ended up accidentally putting my boss in. And you know, I'm really glad that that happened. That and several other big experiences in my life kickstarted everything that we now do for happen to your career. However, let's be honest, I could have done it completely differently. I could have done it in a way that truly harnessed vulnerability and truly harnessed transparency, which does not mean full disclosure. Okay. So with that in mind, here's what I would recommend as it relates to career conversations. Let's say that you're going and you're having what we could call a test drive type conversation with someone, not necessarily to be confused with an informational interview, but where you're going and you're meeting with someone to try and understand their perspective on something as it relates to, to career. So not necessarily just a job, not necessarily just somebody's company or something like that, but from a broader context for that. You know, I might share a little bit about my background and I might share 
my experiences. But if I'm going on and on about how much my boss sucks in my current situation, do you think that that is going to be useful for that person? And of course, that's you know a rhetorical question. The answer is of course going to be no, but that's the type of thing that happens a lot when we talk about transparency and vulnerability. I like to use the rule that is that useful and productive, especially emotionally, for the other person that you're interacting with and sharing with. And if it's not, then it might just be TMI. It might it might just be you know too much information and it might not be vulnerability and it can potentially be authentic, but it's probably not going to be transparency for a useful sake. It might just be transparency for transparency's sake. So I hope that that makes you think about it a little bit and use that as a rule. Is that really going to be truly helpful? Is that really going to be truly useful in one way or another? Is that going to help that other person connect with you? And a lot of times the answer is yes, but sometimes the answer is no. So that's what I would encourage you to think about, which ironically relates back to that very first question about how can I be of help to you? I think true help requires critical thinking. True vulnerability requires understanding other people and their needs and trying to understand them and putting yourself in their shoes. And that is hard. It just is. And the more you do it, the more you practice it, the easier it gets and the more more you're going to be able to contribute to other people's lives as it relates to communication and help and all the other things that we've been talking about on this episode. So I just wanted to say, first of all, really amazing questions, Brian. And I realize that it probably took some critical thinking like we're talking about here to ask the questions that you did in this way. So that's pretty awesome. I just want to applaud you for that. And then two, if you're listening to this, you know, I hope you heard just one tiny piece that you can apply to your own life, your own career change, your own career in whatever way possible. And then I want to encourage you, if you have questions like this that you want to hear answered on the podcast in one way or another, reach out. You can email me at scotthappentoyourcareer.com and you know let us know those questions. I try to get back to as many people as possible, myself and my team. And the more email we get, the more of a challenge it is. However, I do read every single email that is sent to me. Hey, many of the stories that you've heard on the podcast are from listeners that have decided that they wanted to take action and taken the first step of having a conversation with our team to try and figure out how we can help. And if you want to if you want to implement what you have heard and you want to completely change your life and your career then let's figure out how we can help so here's what i would suggest just open your phone right now and open your email app and i'm going to give you my personal email address scott at happen to your career.com just email me and put conversation in the subject line. And then when you do that, I'll introduce you to the right person on our team and you can have a conversation with us. We'll try and understand your goals and what you want to accomplish in your career, no matter where you're at. And we can figure out the very best way that we can help you and your situation. So open it up right now and send me an email with conversation in the subject line. Scott at happenedyourcareer.com. One of the exercises I like to think about is like, okay, cast your mind back to like maybe from the ages of between seven and 10. 
right? What was your play at that point? Because I feel like it's really informative because seven, you know, our personalities are, are, are fairly formed or, you know, from a developmental standpoint. But, yeah. you know, before 10, you know, the hellscape that is adolescence, right, <laughs> sets in and you start to maybe you know, take cues from what you should be doing outside of yourself versus being as authentic. That's Liz McLean. She does a really phenomenal job describing those clues that in retrospect were already there the entire time. And now that she's had many years of experience, she can pay attention to them in new and different ways than what she ever could before as she continues to create a really wonderful career for herself, but also now she gets to help other people do the exact same thing. All that and plenty more next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically. Even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, adios, I'm out.